27 days. I mean, can you believe that we have made it 27 days? Welcome back to the 5K Every Day in the month of May 2022 podcast. I'm Jeff Pullen, and today is Friday, May 27th. For those of us who are still rocking this 5K Every Day in the month of May 2022 challenge, let me just start by saying this. You rock. You are amazing. You should be incredibly proud of yourself. No, we're not finished yet, but we are well on our way. In fact, after tomorrow's 5K, you will have run and or walked at least a 5K every single day for four weeks. <laughs> that is incredible. But I should take a moment to point out that tomorrow is really something special. Tomorrow is none other than the day of the epic 5K Mayhem bonus challenge. What is the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge, you may ask? To answer this question, I'm going to reach back into the archives from my blog to read a section of a post from May 27, 2020. 2020 was the first year of the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge, and here are the seven pieces of final instructions that were offered that first year, with slight alterations to make them relevant for the 2022 challenge. Number one, if you signed up for the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge at the beginning of 5K May 2022, but now you don't want to do it, no worries. It will not disqualify you from completing the actual 5K May 2022 challenge. Number two, if you did not sign up for the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge at the beginning of 5K May 2022, but now you do want to do it, awesome. Welcome to the land of the living. We are so glad to have you. Number three, the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge is to complete a 5K run and or walk every hour on the half hour from 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, May 28, 2022. In simple terms, this is how you should plan your day. 6.30 a.m., run and or walk a 5K. 7.30 a.m., run and or walk a 5K. 8.30 a.m., run and or walk a 5K. 9.30 a.m., run and or walk a 5K. 10.30 a.m., run and or walk a 5K. 11.30 a.m., run and or walk a 5K. 12.30 p.m., run and or walk a 5K. 1.30 p.m., run and or walk a 5K. 2.30 p.m., run and or walk a 5K. 3.30 p.m., run and or walk a 5K. 4.30 p.m., run and or walk a 5K. 5.30 p.m., run and or walk a 5K. 6.30 p.m., eat, drink, sleep, and be merry. Number four, the idea behind the challenge is to be back in time to start another 5K precisely on the half hour. If you get back with 15 to 30 minutes to spare, good for you. Rest up and get ready to go again. If you get back with one minute to spare, you have roughly one minute before your next 5K starts. You get the idea. Number five, if you finish the challenge, be sure to indicate that on the final check-in happening on June 1st, 2022. Doing so will ensure that you get your 5K Mayhem 2022 finishers patch. Number six, if you do not finish the challenge, hold your head up high and be proud of yourself for trying. It is a massive undertaking for sure. We are hoping that people will use this opportunity to really push themselves further than they ever thought possible. If you did that, good for you. No patch for you, but still good for your high effort heart, body, mind, and soul. Number seven, there really is no seventh piece to the 5K Mayhem final instructions. I just really like the number seven. 
I will go ahead and repost this in a 5K Mayhem 2022 bonus challenge final instructions blog post on my website at www.jeffpullinmusic.com. But I thought that perhaps you would want to hear it straight from my mouth in the podcast as well. Today's daily fun photo challenge is to take a photo of a squirrel or other furry animal that you see during your daily 5K. Now to get you started today, here's a song from Pullin' Band called You Are Glorious.
This week's Bible memory verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's go ahead and jump into our daily Bible reading. We are currently in the Gospel of John. Chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises. At the last day, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and said to her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing by said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, 
Come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that this one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophecy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before the Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't come for the Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. I cannot help but be stopped in my tracks every time that I read John 11 verses 5 through 6. And this is what that says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The Bible says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he hears that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two days longer? What? This seems crazy to me. If I were the one who was capable of healing my friend whom I loved, I can't imagine hearing about their illness and then staying where I was so that they could die. I mean, if I had the power to save them, I would rush to their side right away. But Jesus is the glorious Savior. He often does things differently than we would. And in truth, he always does them better than we would. But that is not always easy for us to see and to accept. As it turned out, Jesus showed up in Bethany and wept over the death of Lazarus. He miraculously and marvelously raised Lazarus from the dead. In fact, this was his plan from the beginning. The verse prior to the verse already quoted shows us his plan in plain text. This is John 11 verse 4. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, Jesus may not always be the quickest in how he goes about things, at least not from our perspective, but he is always working out his plan, and his ways are always right and good. Chapter 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. 
When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, Everyone has gone after him. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted into the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder. Others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, We understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say this unto man will die. Just who is this son of man anyway? Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe. For Isaiah also said, The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this, because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. 
I am amazed by the plot from the chief priest to kill Lazarus, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. That's John 12, verses 9 through 11. And it is astonishing to consider the depths of depravity at play here. Lazarus was dead. Now he is alive. But the religious leaders are not rejoicing over this great miracle. No, instead, they are plotting to literally kill Lazarus again just to keep the people from coming to Jesus, the one who was responsible for the miracle resurrection. I mean, this is incredible. I read this text, and then I think about what is going on in our world today, and I think, you know, I guess not much has really changed. I don't believe that the chief priests were intending to keep people from God. I believe they were so blind to the truth of who God is that they actually considered themselves to be doing the right thing by plotting to kill Lazarus. They actually thought they were protecting people by killing a living human being. Somehow, they thought of this murder as a compassionate action. They were choosing to end one life in order to make another life better. Uh, I guess you could say they were pro-choice, as in choosing who gets to live and who has to die. Lazarus was an inconvenience. The chief priests just wanted the inconvenience to go away. How sad, how absolutely terrible, how utterly tragic. We do not find out in the text what happened to Lazarus. It's likely that this plot to kill never fully developed to the point of being carried out. Legend actually points to Lazarus either traveling to Cyprus to become a church leader there until he died of natural causes, or potentially of him traveling to Marseille to become a church leader until he was beheaded for his faith. Now, either way, the point remains that the chief priests were losing their minds regarding Jesus. This still seems to be the case today. I can think of educational elites, popular politicians, spiritual leaders, and others today who would seemingly stop at nothing to keep people from coming to Jesus. Why? Believe it or not, I actually think somehow they believe themselves to be doing the right thing. They see themselves as protecting people. They see their actions as compassionate. How tragically misguided they are. But like so many of the Jewish people who were going away and believing in Jesus, we don't have to listen to those who would even unintentionally lead us astray. We can come to Jesus, the giver of life, the one who has the power to raise the dead on our own. Their desire to keep us from Jesus does not have to result in our being kept from Jesus. No one can stop us from coming to Jesus. This is what Jesus said in John 12, verse 44 through 46. He cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Chapter 13, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. 
So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? But that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus told him, hurry and do what you are going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. To help us unpack John 13, we have the privilege of hearing from the executive director of Sun Life Ministries, which is a ministry that I personally love, have been blessed by, and am blessed to actually be a part of. Sun Life's disciple-making training takes you back to the model, Jesus himself, so that you can do what he did. I'm actually privileged to be a trainer with Sun Life, so if you're looking for someone to come into your church or ministry context to help train and equip you to make disciples who make disciples, please feel free to contact me. But for now, let's listen in on this conversation with my good friend and co-laborer in the gospel, Doug Holliday. Well, one of the privileges of my life, one of the joys of my life is I get to travel around and meet some incredible people and get to do ministry alongside of, be partners in the gospel with different people. And one of my absolute favorite people in the world is Doug Holiday, and I'm looking at you right now, Doug. I've oh my goodness. Hey, this is favorite all Favorite people in the world. I don't, 
You can't know too many people if I'm one of your favorite in the world. I know a lot of people <laughs> and you are one of my absolute favorites. I, I, always I know enjoy. you I know you know a lot of people. You have you're on track to run a marathon in all 50 states. So you've got people all around the world cheering for you. Well, I appreciate <laughs> how many, that. How many states, how many countries are represented in the 5K every day in the month of May? You know, I haven't looked at the actual states, but I know that there are four countries represented. And okay. I, as I was uh, kind of combing through the registrations, there are a lot of states represented. Some of them surprised me, but I didn't actually look and find out the exact number. But nevertheless, okay. well, we, we need to figure that out. That would be fun to that would be fun to know. <laughs> I'll have to try to look into it and figure that out. Well, one of the things that happened was on day one of this challenge, we added this daily fun photo aspect. And on day one, people were supposed to post on social media that they were doing this 5K every day in the month of May challenge and then take a screenshot of that. As a result, a lot of people signed up for the 5K every day in the month of May challenge unofficially. And so they saw the social media sharing and they're like, I would like to do that. So they went out and got a 5K and they're in the challenge, but not officially because they never signed up. So hopefully they're going along with the check-ins and hopefully they, they do the final check-in. And on the final check-in, I actually think we may find out there were more people running than even originally signed up. So it, wow, it's that's crazy fun. how God has used this thing. And it just feels like a huge privilege to be along for the ride. But it's, it's also been a privilege to be along for the ride, watching God using you throughout the years, speaking into my life, being able to actually do ministry together, which has been awesome. But for anybody who doesn't know Doug Holiday, who is Doug Holiday? Help us understand who we're talking to today. Oh, man, I'm just a dude. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a husband. My wife, Jennifer, and I, we have been married this summer, it will be 30 years. I'm a dad. I have six amazing daughters, uh, ranging in age from 25 to 18. Then I, I have the joy of uh, serving and being a part of a few different ministries. One of those ministries is Sun Life and uh, training and equipping youth pastors and youth workers and disciple making, following the pattern that Jesus has given us. And then another ministry, uh, Open Door Haiti. You've actually traveled with me to Haiti several years ago and all kinds of fun stuff going on there with a, a training school for youth pastors, as well as orphanage, schools, feeding centers, medical center, uh, agriculture programs, all church planting, all kinds of fun stuff there in Haiti. Those are the two big ministry focuses in, in my life, but above and beyond ministry for me, I just, I love Jesus and I love my wife and I love my family and that's that's what I want my life to be about. So, well, I appreciate that heart, and I've I've seen that in action. I think that's one of the reasons you're one of my favorite guys in the world is because I just see an authentic love for Jesus, love for family, love for others in you, and I so appreciate that. And Doug, you are an encourager at heart, and I'm wondering you're you're also a runner. A couple of years ago, you did the 5K every day in the month of May challenge. I think maybe one or my, several. Uh, 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 
a runner might be a stretch at this point. Um, a has been runner, a a once was runner, former runner, uh, you know, but yes, I enjoy jumping in with you on this 5k every day in the month of May. <laughs> well, as someone who has done it in that capacity, <laughs> who also ran in high school and in college, you've been kind of across the spectrum as far as running goes. I know when you were in high school and college, you ran very competitively. And so there was a specific pace you were going for and a regimented training, making sure you're getting all your hills and your miles and sprints and all this in. And then even later on, just running because you saw the health benefit of it. And there's people in this 5K every day in the month of May challenge, probably who are also in all different parts of the spectrum. Maybe those who have a specific goal pace in mind, or maybe those who are just like, I just want to get through this 5K. And I'm wondering, as somebody who's been through all of that, what kind of encouragement could you offer the participants of this year's 5K every day in the month of May challenge? The finish line is in sight. We're only days away. How can you help us get across that finish line? Yeah, you know, I like you said, I ran actually elementary school, junior high, high school, college. I was with Athletes in Action on a international tour running in Europe uh, right out of college. On the competitive end, I've experienced the, the joy of running, training, hitting goals, you know, accomplishments, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, right? Uh, uh, all of that. But as the years have gone on, certainly running has become something more, I think, not just for the physical benefit, and there is the physical benefit, but probably even more so for the mental, emotional, and spiritual benefit. You know, there, there are some people that do this for a social benefit. Um, you know, they like to get out there and, and, and run with others and just kind of enjoy the relationship of that and chat along the way and, and have that experience together. And that's not really what the 5K every day in the month of May is for me. It's time alone with God, right? And so I think one of the incredible things that you offer with this experience is that challenge of reading through the scripture and you actually provide this podcast where scripture can be read for them as as we are out there on a walk or a run for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, however long that 5K is going to take. But for me, frequently, I will be listening to scripture while, while I'm out, but also I'm just praying, you know, and I get in this zone with God where I'm just out there and it's he and I on the road together. And we're talking. And so I think it's one of the things for me that is just, I love it. I'm one of those people. I know everyone isn't this way, but I'm one of those people who, when it comes to prayer, if I'm stationary, if I'm sitting or whatever, and I'm trying to pray, my mind is racing, right? And my mind's, you know, here, there, and everywhere. But if I'm moving, 
my mind can get still and my mind can focus. I don't know if, if that's ADD. I don't know what that is. But for me, my best times with God in prayer are when I'm, I mean, besides being, being outside and just, you know, enjoying God's creation, just being on the path, on the road, whatever, talking with God, listening for what he might want to speak into my heart is the real treasure for me in that. My encouragement for those who are in this experience together with us would be to see this as just an opportunity to spend time with God. The God of creation, the God of the universe, the lover of your soul, that he is inviting you into this time to to be alone with him and to enjoy his presence and to to share your heart with him and to hear his heart for you. And what a gift that is. And if the 5K every day in the month of May ends up being a catalyst for that becoming a regular rhythm and routine in your life throughout the year, the depth, the richness in your relationship with God that will come from that, you won't ever want to quit. I don't know how many days in a row your your 5K count is up to now, but I have to think, Jeff, that part of it is just that, that, you know, being out there and sometimes I know you're out there with others and, and running, but I know a lot of times you're out there on your own and just the opportunity to, to be with God and, and just to share your heart with him as you're, as you're out there running is what a gift. Yeah. I mean, as you pointed out, I, I run zero miles on my own, right? God is always there no matter what. And that has been a huge part of I don't want to miss my daily appointment with God, right? So I know a lot of people are into a, a quiet time and I get it. And there's a, a time and a place for that. I like to get alone, quiet with just the Bible and just listening to God. But I'm more of a loud time kind of guy, right? I like to just be out pounding the pavement and, and talking to Jesus. And uh, speaking of talking to Jesus, you are going to share with us something from John 13. And I love... Doug, the way that God has really gifted you and understanding and explaining and communicating the scripture. So I'm excited to hear what you have to share with us from John 13. Yeah, I know that today we're, we're reading, we're hearing John 11, 12, and 13. Before getting to John 13, a couple things like John 11, one of the fascinating things, this is the story of Jesus and Lazarus and raising Lazarus from the dead. And at the beginning of this story, Jesus is a, a few days walk away from where Lazarus is at. And he's with his, his disciples. And there's this little interaction that we have in the story with one of the 12 with Thomas. And, you know, Thomas, he kind of gets a bad rap, you know, because Thomas is the one who after the, the resurrection, he wasn't there when the other disciples first saw Jesus in person. And then when they told Thomas about it, it says that he doubted and he said, unless, unless I see him, unless I put my hands in, in his side, I won't believe, right? And so forever since then, what do we call Thomas? We call him Doubting 
Thomas. And we use that phrase to talk about different people and, oh, they're a doubting Thomas. And that's the, the characterization that we have for Thomas. But here in this story, the idea of going back to, to Jerusalem, the disciples know that they're in Jerusalem. There's, there's people who want to kill Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, we've got to go back. And they raise this, that there's people, they're waiting for you. They want to kill you. And Thomas reply, I love it. This is verse 16. It says, then Thomas called Didymus. And actually Didymus means twin. So he had a twin. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, that doesn't sound to me like this guy who lacks courage or lacks faith, what we typically think of and associating with Thomas as being a doubting Thomas. He's like, hey, if Jesus is going and he's going to face death, I'm going with him. We need to go with him. Even if we die, we're going with him. And I just love that picture of Thomas, and it's almost like a, an autocorrect in my mind for who Thomas was and just his devotion to Jesus. So, you know, not taking one incident from his life, right? And we so often do this with people, take one incident from someone's life and let that define them. And uh, understanding that there's more to Thomas than that one moment of doubt. And unless I see him, I won't believe. So I, I love that. And then the shortest verse in the Bible. Does everyone know what the shortest verse in the Bible is, right? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. And Jesus is here. He's interacting with Lazarus's sisters and just in the midst of their grief and Jesus is grieving with them. And it says, Jesus wept. And the words that follow that, it says, then the Jews said, so the people who are standing around there with Lazarus sisters, part of that, that grieving party, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Oh, Jesus loved well. I think for us, right, Jeff, I think for us so often, the love of Jesus is reduced to John 3.16. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him not perish, but have everlasting life. And, you know, that the love of Jesus is reduced to words on a page and not a relationship that we experience. And this ties into to John 13, because right there at the beginning of John 13, when Jesus, this is the night before he's going to be crucified, it's the Last Supper. You know, we've got the famous picture of the Last Supper. And so this is the, the, the beginning of that encounter that Jesus has with his disciples. And John 13, 1, it says, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And catch this, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Wow. 
the full extent of his love. And Jesus goes on to wash their feet and serve them. And, you know, kind of this picture of a servant leader and showing them the full extent of his love in that way. And then the next day, laying down his life on the cross for them and showing them the full extent of his love. One of the things that's kind of buried in this chapter that we can quickly read over is a curious little phrase that we read and we're like, what, what's that about? It's down in verse 23. This is the first time in the, gos- the gospel of John that this phrase is used, where it says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And you're like, what's that about? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Didn't he love all of them? Of course he loved all of them. And then to realize that this is actually the author of this gospel, John himself, speaking of himself in the third person. So throughout John's gospel, he never refers to himself by name. He always kind of puts himself off to the side. And here, the the way that he's identifying himself, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And actually, there are several times after this, that John uses that phrase again in John 19, 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby in John 22. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John 21, 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And then John 21, 20, as soon as Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And and so five times in the gospel of John, this phrase is used, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's used by John, the author himself. And so when I read it, I don't know what it, it does in your mind or your heart when you hear that. But for me, when I hear it, I'm like, man, is he, is he bragging? Like, is he just saying, everybody knew I was his favorite, right? I was his closest. I'm the one that he loved, you know? And so that's always where my mind went with that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And just kind of always felt like, man, that's kind of weird. That's kind of like bragging. Why why is that in there? Like, Like Jesus is playing favorites or whatever. And then, I don't know, it's probably four or five years ago, I was reading through the Gospels and read this. I was meditating on it. This is interesting. I can remember exactly where I was because I had um, gone to pick up my daughter from work and I was there early and I'm sitting in the car. I've got version open on my phone and I'm, I'm, I'm reading the scriptures and I'm meditating on this. And then all of a sudden it hit me. John felt loved by Jesus. His life was marked by the love of Christ. He had so experienced Jesus' love that for him, 
not comparing himself to anyone else. This isn't about John comparing himself. This is just John and like what he's viewing as most important about his identity and who he was. He's like, he loves me. He loves me. John is writing this gospel. At this point, he's probably in his 80s. He's an old man. He's experienced a lot of life. Jesus has, at this point, probably been gone from the scene, resurrected, ascended back to the Father at least 50 years before John is writing this. And still at this moment, John's identity is all wrapped up in the love of Christ, that he would forever be marked by the love of Christ. I just remember sitting there in the car that day, and it was like a bucket of water had been dumped over my head and just like the Spirit of God just washed over me and just tears began to stream down my face. And it's like Jesus was saying to me, do you know that I love you? Do you know that you're the one that Jesus loved? And just that forever, like for John, that my life would be marked by his love. I would say, you know what? I too am the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's who I am. More than anything else, that has marked my life. I'll never read those words again the same way. And it makes sense when you get to other scriptures that John has written, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and particularly 1st John, it's like, it's all about love, right? If you've ever read 1st John, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, it's just pulsing with love and that we have love for one another and that we love each other as Christ has loved us. And it's just dripping, drenched with love. It's almost like in reading that, you'd say, man, John was the apostle of love. And I think he was because his life had been marked by the love of Jesus. And so for our 5K every day in the month of May, crazies out there, it's my prayer that you would hear these words and know that you are loved and that it not just be an intellectual knowing, but a deep experience in your soul. And that the Spirit of God would wash over you with the love of Christ. And you would know that you are loved. You're loved. Jeff, you're loved. You are the disciple he loves. I'm the disciple he loves. I want that to mark my life too. Wow. Super powerful. Thank you, Doug, for that reminder. As we wrap up today's podcast, it seems appropriate to end with the title track from my most recent solo record called We Are Loved.
And lovers of this world, they will have no place with God Cause we were made for so much more than this world could offer us We are 